Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Good morning. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffered in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live in the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. Amen. Good morning. Hello. My goodness. We are in a new space. We are talking about a book that was written to a pilgrim people, and we are living that out, which is so beautiful. I want to just say, first of all, thank you to the team who showed up here early today, uh, just with all the uncertainty of setting up and doing that every week. You guys are amazing, and you, you set the table for us so beautifully. So thank you, Gabrielle. Um, thank you guys so much for leading us in that way. I do want to just acknowledge a couple of things that are going on. This past Wednesday at our food pantry, um, we had one of those moments that I hate as a pastor. We had a group of people assembled outside that we couldn't serve, that we didn't have enough food for. Um, and so weekly, people depend on our contribution as a church and also contributions from Mercer Street Friends and some other uh, entities in this local place to provide groceries. And it was one of those moments. It just, you know, just the reality hits you where this is real for people. It's not going to be they just walk away and it's like, oh, that was not great. Uh, they're looking in their pantries and their fridges, and they're seeing that they don't have enough for the week. And so, church, I, I just want to continue to challenge you to give sacrificially. We are a young church, but we are a generous one. And so let's continue to, to show up for the people in this neighborhood. It's interesting that we're meeting in this space. Uh, there's a book by a woman named Catherine Watterson, who was a, a sociologist. She worked at Princeton. It's called I Can Hear My People Singing. And she writes about this neighborhood, the John Street neighborhood. A neighborhood that over the last 20 to 25 years has subsequently changed over in a lot of ways. Uh, this neighborhood was, was historically the place where many black people who served and worked and who built Princeton lived and made community here. And this, this neighborhood has begun to change over. And so I just want to acknowledge that this morning. 
that we, we sort of, as a church plant, we have this kind of weird identity where we drop into a space. There's a church meeting just down the street, a church that's been meeting for 150, 200 years of faithful uh, of, of Christian brothers and sisters. And I, I just want to acknowledge that we're not moving into their space uh, just because we think we have this message. Um, and and just, to, just to sort of acknowledge the complexity of where we are this morning. We're on a very complex corner of Princeton. And the more we can take account of that and remember that, uh, the better. And so, friends, I'm, I'm so grateful that we get to meet in this space. I'm so grateful that in, in the middle of Black History Month, we can meet in a space named for Paul Robeson, who was an incredible man. I encourage you to do some research. Just use Google, which I'm sure you're capable of at this point. Look him up. He was an athlete, an educator, a brilliant man. And it, it's so appropriate that this space is named for him. And so this morning, we are continuing... As we approach the Lenten season, our, our walk through 1 Peter, and I was, I was sort of torn. This week was supposed to be our last week in 1 Peter, but the rest of it is so good, and we just kind of meandered through part of it that I was like, we have to finish this, so we're going to finish it, even if we kind of move into Lent a little bit. But you'll see that some of the themes really carry over to Lent. And so I'm going to invite you, if you have a Bible, if you brought one of those paper things that they print off, open up to 1 Peter Chapter 4, you can use the table of contents. Nobody's going to judge you. Most people don't know where Peter is. That's totally fine. We're so glad you're here this morning. If you're new here or if you're feeling like, I don't know, they just invited me into a room and all they did was sing and that was sort of weird, that's okay. Okay? It's, it's one of the weirdest things we do as Christians. We invite people to church and then we spend the first half of the meeting singing and everybody's like, what is happening here? And how do all those people seem to know what's going on? If you don't know what's going on, you are welcome here. If you came in here mad at God or you have questions, you are welcome here. We are so grateful that you are joining us. I've, I don't know if you've been paying attention just to, I don't know if you're like me. I like Twitter. I'm one of those weird people. I just like, I don't really participate that much, but I just like to kind of watch what's going on. And over the past couple of weeks, I've had some incredible um, sort of interactions and just things I've seen that's happening over the, the broader scale of our culture. And one of the things, I have a friend who was at the NBA All-Star Weekend this past weekend, and he started live streaming Kanye's Sunday service. And I, I, I started watching it. And I, I, have any of you seen this? It is so compelling. Like, literally, there's just a choir, and they're just singing this refrain, and he is just, like, talking about his testimony, talking about Jesus, and sort of just riffing off this thing. And I'm just, I, I found it, like, 20 minutes later. I'm still staring at this. And this was just the intro. Like, I, I'm a father of three kids. I have a wife. I had to eventually get off the couch and, and go do other things. But I just saw this moment. It was incredible. It was so powerful and so compelling. And then I saw an interview this weekend with Justin Bieber. Any, uh, what are they, believers? What do we call these people now? There's this weird dynamic that happens. See, for my era, it was Justin Timberlake. And if you're my age, it, let me just, if you're my age, you, you, you kind of hated Justin Timberlake when you were in middle school, secretly. In sync, that whole thing, you were just like, oh, that guy. Boy band, huh? But you secretly loved him, too. You're like, this, this is kind of great. And then he just kept getting cooler. Like, he just kept doing more stuff. And you're like, actually, I, I think I kind of like Justin Timberlake. And Justin Bieber's had sort of a similar uh, arc to his career. Like, when Bieber came out, I mean, that baby song, I mean, we could leave that alone. Right? But, but as you start to keep listening to the music, you're like, this, this isn't so bad. 
This isn't like I kind of find myself tapping my feet to it. And Justin Bieber was doing an interview with Zane Lowe, who uh, has a podcast on Apple Music, and they're talking about Justin Bieber's faith. And I was both, I was both taken aback by, like, Zane Lowe had such a, a compelling way of talking about faith. I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but he was just, he was so able to ask good questions. And Justin Bieber said in the interview, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the changes that have happened in his life. And he says, about the love of Jesus, he says, it's a free gift by accepting Jesus and just giving your life to him. And what he did is the gift. The forgiveness is the thing that we look at, and I'm going to worship you, God, because you gave me something so good. Now, I think we do this weird thing in Christian culture with celebrities. We put them up, and it's like, oh, wow, they're on our team. Cool. And then it's like everything they do is awesome. I'm not here. I don't know. I don't know Kanye West's soul. I don't know Justin Timberlake's soul. All I can see is what you can see, is what's, what's in public, what's put out there. But what I see here, if you'd have told me five years ago that two of the most compelling people talking about Jesus in popular culture are Kanye West and Justin Bieber, I might have had some questions. And so this morning, we want to talk about sort of this juxtaposition What is the sort of freedom that Jesus Christ is inviting us into? How can a life be so radically transformed that somebody who's who's singing about all the things that they can do because they're so rich or so good-looking is now transferred into somebody who's singing about the beauty of Jesus and who's who's, uh, letting their life be a testimony of his goodness and his grace? First Peter kind of brings us into these waters. And so I want to start here, and I'm going to help us just kind of walk through a simple paradigm here this morning that Peter's inviting us into. Before I read the scripture, I just want to put this up on the screen. The difference for us and the the, the paradigm that we want to work with today, the difference is between our human will, and as as we understand freedom, and we're going to unpack that in just a moment, and God's will, and what God sort of designs freedom for. And so our human freedom, we understand as freedom from things. Freedom from boundaries and restrictions. And God's freedom, which is something quite different, but far better, is freedom for other things. So let's get into the text, and we'll unpack that paradigm just a little bit. Peter writes to a pilgrim people, a people who were oppressed, a people who were shamed by their culture. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. I love this from Peter. I love the words he uses in this book, because if you remember in the gospel stories, when the, the moment when Jesus comes to be arrested, who is it that pulls out a sword? It's Peter. And he just so subtly says, Therefore, arm yourselves with this intention. And this is what he says. Arm yourself with the same attitude as Jesus, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. So Peter's inviting us into this paradigm, the difference between the human will and the will of God. He says you used to live as as just a product of your own desires. Paul, when he begins Romans 1, just sort of looks at the world and he says, this is what it looks like when humanity has lost its mind. You no longer are that different from the animals. You just live as, as one passion to another, one desire to another. You become a slave to that thing. 
And what Peter is saying, that you used to live that way. And the beautiful thing that he's doing here is he's talking to a group of people who used to be pagans and Gentiles. He's talking to people and he's just saying, you used to live this way, but now, but now you, you are done with that phase of your life and there's something much more for you. Now, I don't know uh, if this is true of you. Uh, some of you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to betray my age a little bit here. But for me, we used to have to like own music to listen to it. <laughs> is this true of anyone? Like you had to actually pay the artist and not steal from them via Spotify? Oh, sorry. We'll talk about that later. But you know what that, or LimeWire, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Children of the early 2000s. And, you know, the, the thing with that was, like, now my kids, my kids, any time they want to listen to a song, like, they don't understand a world where I cannot access it immediately. And, and you know, I, every once in a while I like to be old man walking up the street both ways in the snow to school and just say, listen, kids, it's not always been this easy. But you know, one of the things I found that my CD collection did for me was that it limited me. And it's this interesting thing. Have any of you ever run into this kind of Spotify paralysis? Where you're like, I want to listen to some music. What do I want to listen to? I can literally pick from anything ever recorded. Huh. Or maybe you've done this on Netflix. My wife and I, we have this simple pattern that we follow every Friday night when we're kind of turning in for the weekend, beginning our Sabbath. Hey, honey, is, is there anything like that you've been hearing people talk about on Netflix that you like to watch? Anything you want to uh, get into? And we sort of search through, you scroll to the end of Netflix, and then you're like, and we'll watch The Office. <laughs> I have seen, we have seen The Office through, I think, about 15 times, so... If there's like a PhD in the office, I am, I think I want to have that. But the, the thing that begins to happen is we sort of have this infinite expression of choice before us. And what we find is that it paralyzes us to some degree. And, and this is so true. The freedom of our age is sort of kind of bound up with this kind of paradigm, right? That you can do anything, you can be anything, that whatever is before you, nobody can tell you how to live. There are no boundaries and no limits. And what we begin to do is we try to find freedom in finite things. We try to find freedom in things that are less than something that will satisfy that desire. The freedom of our age is a freedom that demands authenticity. A freedom that tries to find its freedom and its expression in things that are smaller than God. And whether these things be like status or money or adoration, respect from people, whether it be sex or drugs or even food, we try to use these small things in ways that cannot and will not work out. We try to use our freedom to live a life that we have designed for ourselves. James K. Smith describes this cycle. He says, I'm going to be caught in a cycle where, I, where I'm more and more disappointed in those things, and yet I'm more and more dependent on those things. I keep choosing things with diminishing returns, and when that thing becomes habitual and eventually necessary, I've now forfeited my ability to choose. The thing has me now. There's a man named Augustine 
fifth century. He's kind of an ancient Kanye or Bieber. Except his skill was rhetoric. He was just good at talking, and that made him famous. So I don't know what's wrong with our culture, that that doesn't work anymore. But he climbed the ranks of Roman society with his incredible skill for rhetoric, and he was living the life, like not similar to like somebody moving to New York City and just living the, the cliche and stereotypical single life. I'm not saying that's the life everybody lives, and I hate cliches, but here we are. And as he, he moved to Carthage, and he began to just like, he's like, I'm going to live it up. This is going to be the best time ever. And he, you know, you can, you can do the uh, arithmetic, the social arithmetic. He pursued relationships. He, he lived his life as freely as somebody could in that time. And he started to see some of his friends begin to follow the way of Jesus. And what this did for him was it started to hold up just a mirror. And he kept pursuing the, the fullness and he kept exp- uh, pursuing authenticity And as he saw his friends beginning to live differently, he just kind of kept looking at them. He's like, why isn't this working? Why isn't this satisfying me? I have everything I want. Augustine was from a poor family. He had built his way up because of his skill. He He had climbed the ranks. He had achieved. And yet, he kept coming to the end of himself and kept finding that there was something that was lacking in his life. And he talks about this kind of, this perpetual needing to fill a desire that will not be sated and filled. He says in his uh, confessions, he says, The consequence of a distorted will is passion. And by servitude to passion, habit is formed. And habit to which there is no resistance becomes necessity. By these links, as it were, connected to one another, a harsh bondage held me under restraint. You see, the the thread here, friends, is that when we try to make up our own freedom, when we try to, to, to blaze our own path, what we find is that freedom does not become freedom in any way that we construe it. But it becomes a sort of habitual bondage that keeps us locked. Leslie Jameson, in her incredible memoir, talking about her recovering from addiction, it's called The Recovering, uses this simple phrase and what she describes in her addictive kind of patterns. She says, I found that this pattern was at work. I would desire. I would have that longing. It would, it would spur up in me. I would use. And then I would repeat. And what she found, she was like, you know, one of these people who you, you like look at, a lot, of, a lot of Princeton students are this way. You're just like, wow, are you good at everything? Like, is there anything you're not good at? She's one of those people who just like conveyed this kind of sense of awesomeness. Her willpower, her sense of of ability had caused her to be well uh, renowned by her peers, by her colleagues. And she said, yeah, I, I had this willpower. And what she describes as her willpower, she said, this willpower was a fine-tuned machine for building my own kingdom. She says it was fierce and humming, and it had done plenty of good things, gotten me straight A's, gotten my papers written, gotten me through cross-country training runs. But when I'd applied this willpower to drinking, the only thing I felt was that I was turning my life into a small, joyless, clenched fist. What an image. 
this sense of freedom has now become bondage. And now she's trying some way to conceive of a way out. And all she can find is that she's holding on to this thing that she knows is undoing her. A small, joyless, clenched fist. Now, here's what I think some of you may be doing in here today. You may be sitting here saying, and rightfully so, hey, I'm not an addict. I, like, I'm, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm certainly no, not addicted to a substance like Leslie Jameson is describing. And what I think is we often need the experience of those who experience this kind of addiction and slavery in the extreme to, unco- to uncover the insidious and subtle ways that sin seeks to enslave us even through all of our moderation. This idea of a small and clenched, joyless fist that Leslie Jameson puts before us. How many of us this morning are holding on to these things, trying to blaze our own path of freedom? Peter says that you used to live in these ways. And I think whether you came in here tonight and you believe in Jesus and you follow his way, or you're here and you're like, I'm not really sure what's going on with all this stuff, wherever you find yourself today, that, that feeling of, of being stuck, that feeling of habit is one that we have all felt in our lives. And Peter describes this. He says of the whole church, he says, look, we were all at one time enslaved to something. Enslaved to something that was wanting to keep us small and compressed into its image. He says in 1 Peter 1.18, he says, you know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors. Peter describes the normal patterns of our life as futile. He describes it as inherited, as systemic, as things that we are born into, but as things that we choose. And he says, he says, you were ransomed. And that word in the biblical lexicon is about slaves being set free. It's about God moving in such a way that it brings salvation and life. Peter says, you were ransomed. And friends, whether you would tell your story in such a way that it would have us all weeping because you were strung out on drugs or you didn't know who God was and you were living your life in such a way or you would just say, I, I don't know, I just kind of float through life and, and, and just kind of feel it out and this is where I am this morning. No matter how, how dramatic you may feel that your story is or how just kind of mundane, this is what sin is trying to do in our lives. Paul says in Romans 6, he says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, if you use your desires and your will and your time and your energy towards anything, you become a slave to the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. And friends, just as I kind of boil this down, when we don't pursue the will of God, and this is kind of the distinction that Peter's drawing, He says, you used to live in this way where you were pursuing your own human will, your own desires. When we don't pursue God's will, we become imprisoned to our own desires. We become slaves to sin. Augustine would say in another place, he would say that we almost become curved in on ourselves. Unable to to, to not only break out of the prison of our own desires, but unable to reach out in community and love to other people. But here's the thing. I am not interested, and God is not interested this morning in making you feel terrible about just pulling back the veil and saying, look look how awful you are. 
Look, look, at how, look at how broken you are. This is not God's heart. This is not his desire. We've parachuted into the middle of 1 Peter, and he says, you used to live in this way. And what he's saying to each of us this morning, he's talking to a church, a people of gathered believers. But for us this morning, whether you're a believer or not, he's going to say the next thing, which is the most beautiful and hope-filled thing, that there is another way. That we are not subject and slave to our own desires. That we are not left in our misery and in our brokenness and in that imprisonment of habit. Jesus is saying, oh, there's another way. And it is so much better. So how do we begin to move towards God? How do we begin to break that cycle? We've all felt this way, right? Whether it be like, I don't know if you've ever, if some of you own a house in here. Have you ever just had that thing in your house that just you just ignored, and at some point it passes the point you're like, oh gosh, this is a big problem, right? And there's this amazing feeling, like we had this recently, our gutters were just like, there were like trees growing out of the gutters. And it's a little too tall for me to safely climb a ladder and get up there, and I just like, I would look up there every day, I was just like, you moron. You know, water needs a place to go. It needs to get away from your foundation. Like the gutters need to be healthy and good. And you know what finally helped? Is when I called the gutter guy and said, hey, could you come? And you know what he said? For a small fee? (laughs) Absolutely. And here's the thing. Our understanding of our, our situation when we understand the place we're in, that's just the beginning. And when you call upon the Lord and you say, God, I don't know what the next step is. I can't see it in front of me. Every time I try to make a move of my own willpower, as Leslie Jameson described, I just find myself desiring, using, repeating. And friends, this morning, there is a way out. There is a way towards grace. And when you call on Jesus, he doesn't say, hey, there's a slight fee. Other than, you know, come die with me. Come, come follow me. He just says, come. The Lord hears us when we call. First Peter, in that same verse, in, in verse 18, he says, you know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And friends, I always want to put this before you. Peter doesn't talk about the precious blood of Jesus Christ as this idea, like it's a doctrine. This was his best friend. The one who loved him more than anybody else walked with him for three years. The one that he had denied and had subsequently been restored. Jesus was this one who mattered to him more than anything else in the world. With the precious blood of Jesus Christ, you have been ransomed. Friends, this is grace. That no matter how you feel yourself this morning... No matter how, like 1 Peter, the first part of chapter 4 describes maybe the reality that you're living in, there is another way. And Peter is so full of hope. He says, you've already spent enough of your time doing that. But now, but now there's a new day. The day of grace, this day, this great day where your will is no longer imprisoned by your desires, but your will is set free By God's grace, it empowers you. And he goes on in verse 7. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Come on. 
Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Leslie Jameson writes of her addiction story. She said, addiction is a story that has always been told. And you know, as First Peter describes the, our, our former life, the life that, that would seek to imprison and enslave us. You know, it's so ironic that we think that expressing our freedom, that doing whatever we choose makes us fully who we are. But Leslie Jameson said that addiction, like sin, is always a story that has always been told. And what I see in this second part, this, the stuff that Peter describes that we have freedom for now, is the stuff that makes us truly unique. That makes us truly alive. Look at what he says. He says that we have four things that we have freedom for. And I think these are so important. Joanna, you can just put that slide up on the screen for a moment. He says, you have freedom to think. You have freedom to pray. I love how he says that the end of all things is near. Like, what would you do if the end of all things was near? You'd probably go on a trip or something like that. What does he say you're going to do? So you could pray. He says, understand the, the calendar, understand the moment that we are in. And Jesus uses a similar phrasing in the Gospels. I don't think it means that the world is going to end tomorrow. It might. But perhaps Peter is saying that the, the end has come upon us in such a way. The end of the age has begun right in the middle of the world as we have understood it. That there is an end of hopeful beauty that is being lived out right in the midst of this broken world. The end of all things is near. But he says, you can pray. You can think. Like somebody that thinks for themselves, that person is an individual. Now, we could do a little pop psychology here. He says, so that you can be sober-minded. There are the most uh, wealthy corporations in the world are designed to keep you from not being sober-minded. They want your attention. Does anybody get their screen time report on Sundays? We have confession after. It's fine. And friends, to be sober-minded, Peter says that this is available to us in this moment because of what Christ Jesus has done. We have an opportunity to think and to pray and to see the world as God sees it. He, says, he also says, he, he says, love one another. And he says this, above all, the most important thing that we can do as a community right now to show this world the beauty of Jesus is to love one another deeply. And friends, we've been a, a community and a church for about 10 months at this point, And we're starting to see this emerge. It's just this sense of people taking care of one another. Where it's not just this organizational structure, this bureaucracy, but it's actual people sharing life with one another, mutually dependent upon one another. He says, above all, Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Ever somebody annoyed you in your life? Ever somebody annoyed you in the church? Peter invites us to a sense of love, of camaraderie, of knowing that we are in this together. 
He says, whatever gift you have received, you should use that gift to serve others as faithful stewards. He invites us into purpose and mission, both within the walls of the church and without. You have been given a gift. Your life is a gift to, the, to those around you, to those in your immediate family, yes, but to those in the family of God, yes, and to the world, the wider world. I love the church so much because for, in our culture, you can do what you're qualified for, right? You can do what you have, your education has you know, brought you to the level to where you can achieve a certain job. But in the church, you may be qualified for much or little, but God has distributed gifts throughout his body in order that we might express his love for us to one another, that we might serve one another. He says, use whatever gift you have. And then he says this, when you speak, you speak the very words of God. At Ecclesia, we understand this. We have this value that we, we repeat until it seeps down into our bones, but that words create worlds. And what if, what if as a people we spoke life over one another? What if as a people we called out destiny and blessing and honor? What would that do in our midst? What would that say to the wider world? Whenever you speak, you speak the very words of God. And finally, Peter says, and he doesn't really say it. He just expresses it. And I love this in the scriptures. This happens so often where somebody's reflecting on something so beautiful and they just sort of explode in praise that all glory may be given to God the Father through Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. We are set free to worship. And kind of the way that this frames that what we began talking about is we all worship. David Foster Wallace in his seminal talk at Kenyon College talks about this. Everyone worships. Don't think you don't worship. To be human is to worship. And Peter says that as we become who we were meant to be, as we begin to think for ourselves, as we begin to be people who are set free from the imprisonment of our previous lives by the beauty of God's grace, we have a, a call and a, an empowerment to worship God, to express the fullness of who we actually are. Peter's saying, like, you are no longer confined to the life that you previously lived. There's a man named Nicholas Todd Sutton. And at age 23, he killed four people. He was executed to, or it was, it was sentenced to life in prison and eventually sentenced to be executed. And he was executed this past weekend. This man who was in prison for the most part of his adult life. But during this course, he, even in prison, he was accused of, of killing another inmate. But during the course of his imprisonment, he found the grace and the beauty of Jesus. And upon, as his execution date approached... Seven correctional facilities officers wrote to the governor of Tennessee on Nicholas's behalf. And they said, this man has saved the lives of three corrections officers during prison riots, during fights. He has stepped in. And what they said of him was that 
death row is a safer and better place because Nicholas Todd Sutton is there. And they were pleading for clemency. They were pleading for the governor to intervene. This man who had killed four people, and if you read the details of it, I, I, I don't want to put that before you today. It's horrendous. But then you see how God can take a life. God can take any life and transform it. And this is what Peter was describing. No matter, no matter the, the content of your previous existence, no matter the way that you lived in the past, there is a future. There is more. Not because you have the will to change your life. Nicholas Todd Sutton's story is so horrible, even going back to his childhood. There is no way to pull himself out of this, but the grace of Jesus Christ can transform any life. And his last words, these are good. Don't ever give up on the power of Jesus Christ to take impossible situations and correct them. He can fix something that's broken. He fixed me. I want to uplift the name of Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. I'm just grateful to be a servant of God, and I'm looking forward to being in his presence. And I thank you. Friends, this morning, Peter is calling us. He's calling us this morning. For, for some of you, he's calling you. you. You may feel trapped in a cycle. You know that as I talked about the prison of sin, like you're like, that's, I'm just there. And you may be the, like the, the most model Christian. You may be the person everybody looks to. Like those things hide in the closet. And Peter is calling us and saying that there is hope, that there is a future for you. And so, friends, I just want to put that before you. As we wrap up, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we move into a time of reflection and communion. This morning, if you're feeling trapped, there are people here that will meet with you and look at you. And as, as G.K. Chesterton described the beauty of St. Francis of Sissy, he walked the world as the pardon of God. And look at you in the eyes and say to you, there is more for you. There is grace for you. God is meeting you in your struggle. And so just a couple of moments, I'm, I'm going to invite you just to reflect. Like, are you, are you feeling stuck? Are you feeling trapped? Maybe God wants to meet with you. And the second call I have for you is Peter says, you spent your time living in this wasteful way. But now, there is a new day dawning. A day, yes, of discipline. A day of pursuing a purpose. But a day of freedom. And friends, as I read the second half of 1 Peter, this passage that we read, as I read those passages beginning in verse 7, I hear a call to the church. A call to put away childish things. A call to put away mindless things and to pursue Jesus. The world needs us to live in the beauty of who Jesus is. The world needs us to love one another above all. Because love covers a multitude of sins. The world needs us to be people who, when we speak, have this sense that we are standing on holy ground, that we speak the very words of God. The world needs us to see what might God has put in our hands and to use it to bless the world. And so, friends, if you're just like, yeah, I've just been coasting. If you feel like God is calling you to more and he's saying that's you, 
We want to pray with you. We want to call out destiny with you this morning. Because we know that though we have lived our lives in the past, in all of these various ways, that God has shown his beautiful grace to us and has called us to a new future. Jesus Christ can change anything and anyone. There is nothing so broken that he cannot fix it. And that is why we gather every Sunday morning, because this resurrection hope is so, so good. Let's pray. Beautiful Jesus, Lord, you have ransomed us, God. God, you've ransomed us, not just with your power, God, not just with the fact that you're this sovereign, majestic God, but you've ransomed us with your suffering, God, with your emptying your life on our behalf on a cross. And so, Jesus, as we gather here this morning, Lord, would you help us to see the cross as an invitation? Just as you nailed the sins of the whole world to that cross, God, to see that our sins, God, not just some idea of brokenness, not just some idea of imprisonment, but our sins, God, are covered because you love us so dearly. And God, this morning, we not only sort of languish in our brokenness, God, but we see resurrection hope. That there's a call to be sober-minded, a call to love one another, a call to community. God, a call to serve and a call to worship. So Jesus, as we gather this morning, would we see the life, the freedom for that you're calling us into? Not just a freedom from boundaries and rules and limitations, God, but a freedom for fullness of life, Jesus. And God, we pray in hopes and in assurance that you are meeting us here. Your presence, your Holy Spirit meets us as we pray and as we call out to you. And Jesus, we ask all these things in your name, in the beautiful name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.